0: I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. That's where we will be today. I'll give you just a moment to find that in your copy of God's Word. And then I'll read it and uh, we will um, seek to know and understand what God's Word is saying to us. Romans chapter 3. Verses 19 through 20. This is the word of God. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you uh, help us to understand uh, your word today? And Father, teach us, give us teachable spirits. Uh, Father, uh, mold us into uh, the, the people that you call us to be. Father, prick our hearts um, if there is sin in our hearts, Lord. And above all, draw us to Jesus, uh, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus for his glory. Amen. The title of our message today is Saving Righteousness Needed. Saving Righteousness Needed from Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. And one of my goals for the new year is to fix my driveway. Fix my driveway. My driveway is in really bad shape. It is full of potholes and ruts and mud holes, mud pits. Um, it, it's a mess. Driving across it reveals a great need. And a load of gravel will meet that need, maybe a couple of loads of gravel. If I told my wife tomorrow that a load of gravel was on the way, uh, she would probably say something like, that's great news. That's great news. Why? Because we need a load of gravel. And that need being met would be great news. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul unpacks the greatest news in all of the world. And he does so in great detail. Romans is a magnificent book. If you think about our lives like my really messed up driveway, you could understand the layout of the book of Romans this way. In Romans chapter 1 uh, through chapter 3, verse 20, so Romans 1, 1 through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul drives us across the messed up driveway in order to understand how broken we are. In other words, he gives us the bad news. And friends, it's really bad news. The driveway of our lives is rougher than rough. It seems to be in complete disrepair. Then in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, just those six verses, Paul dumps out the load of gravel, if you will, which is the solution to the problem. And this solution is the gospel. In just a few verses, he just kind of dumps it all out there in front of us. Then in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 27 through chapter 11, Paul spreads out the gravel. Uh, he, in other words, he goes into detail concerning how the solution actually fixes the problem. Um, he, he applies the gospel to the problem uh, of our lives, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. Uh, Then in Romans chapter 12 uh, through chapter 16, that's the rest of the book of Romans, Paul teaches us how to drive across this new gravel. In other words, now that the greatest problem has been solved, now that the brokenness has been fixed, what impact does it have on uh, how we live our lives? How do we apply the gospel to everyday life once we have believed the gospel for salvation? So that, that's the basic layout of the book of Romans. Now, I, I'm not planning to preach through the book of Romans uh, right now, um, uh, though I do look forward to the day when we study through the whole book uh, as a church family. Uh, but instead, what I want to do over the next few weeks is, is spend some time at the pile of gravel. Uh, it, that is that second section In the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. There, Paul just unloads in a matter of these six verses, uh, the greatest news of all times. And he just packs it into six incredible verses. What I want to do in, in this series of sermons, which I'm entitling The Greatest News, is to sit and ponder and enjoy deepening our understanding of the gospel. So, Lord willing, we're going to spend a a few weeks examining this greatest news of all times as is summarized in uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But, you're probably thinking, well, you didn't just read those verses, you read verses 19 through 20. I know, there's a reason for that. You see, to really appreciate the pile of gravel, we need to make sure we understand just how bad and broken down the driveway is. And so before we get to verses 21 through 26... I want us to look at verses 19 through 20. Uh, these, these last two verses in that first main section of Romans, um, in, these, in these verses, Paul unpacks just how broken down we are as, uh, as human beings. Um, it's kind of a summary, if you will, of the argument um, or, or, or the, the final point of his argument that he's making since really chapter 1. These two verses, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, um, they point to the utter hopelessness of fixing our greatest problem through self-effort. Namely, through adherence to the law. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 teaches us this. The law does not make us righteous, but reveals our need to be counted righteous. Please hear that very clearly. The law does not make us righteous, but reveals our need. To be counted righteous. By the time we get to verse 19 of chapter 3, Paul has gone to great lengths to expose the greatest need of humanity. If you were to back up to chapter 1, verse 17, you'd see Paul mention the righteousness of God, and he says that it's being revealed. Then in the very next verse, chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, here's the great theme of Romans. Righteousness versus unrighteousness. God is righteous. We are unrighteous. Which means humans, we should suffer the wrath of God. So then, how can humans who are unrighteous be counted righteous Before God or in the sight of God? Is there a way? Is that possible? Humans have been trying to answer this question since we became unrighteous all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And though it may look like we've come up with all sorts of different ways, different human inventions of being counted righteous, humans have uh, only ever come up with one way. The one way that humans have come up uh, is to earn it. How how am I going to be righteous before God? Well, I've got to earn it. No matter where you go in history, no matter where you go geographically, no matter where you go culturally, you will find people trying to earn a righteous standing before God, or for those who are polytheistic, before uh, righteous standing before their gods. Now, this may take uh, this this one way of earning your righteousness might take a variety of shapes and sizes. For instance. Uh, for the Hindu, it is striving to achieve Dharma, which is this, um, this almost perfected state of right living, and eventually achieving Moksha, which is a release from the cycle of life and death, and it's striving to achieve these things through right living, basically trying to achieve right living through right living. For the Buddhist, it's striving to achieve Nirvana through adherence to what is called the Eightfold Path. For the Muslim, it's striving to achieve eternal life by adherence to the five pillars of Islam. For many Jews, it is striving to live in accordance with God's revealed law, as we find in the Old Testament. For many people who call themselves Christians, it is striving to live in accordance with God's revealed law, or for some, just trying to do more good than bad, or just trying not to get into too much trouble. But what each of these have in common with one another is that they all depend upon self-effort, upon human self-effort. They all depend upon what I can do to earn the right standing I need before God. And yet God's word clearly states that even if it is his law we are trying to follow, the law cannot provide us with the righteousness that we need. The law cannot provide us with the righteousness we we need. I want to share with you five truths about the law from Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Five truths. And I think these five truths will help us understand that our only hope of righteousness must come from outside of us, not within us. First truth I want to share with you is this. The law tells us that we must be perfect. The law tells us that we must be perfect. Paul says in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now we know that whatever the law says. Well, perhaps the first term that we need to define is the word law. What does Paul mean when he says law? In a very specific sense, he means the law of God revealed to Moses and the nation of Israel after they were rescued from Egypt. And you can read this law in the books of Exodus and Leviticus The book of Deuteronomy, I would encourage you to read that. It's the Word of God. Um, We're most familiar with the summary of this law in the Ten Commandments. Now, the law could also refer to any and all of God's commandments and instructions, including those he gave before the time of Moses. For instance, many times in chapters 2 through 3, Paul refers to circumcision, which was a command given to Abraham long before uh, God gave the law to Moses then in a, general, in a more general sense, the word law can refer to all of God's word. For example, in Psalm chapter 119, which is all about the word of God, um, the psalmist interchanges the word law with the word word, with a lot of other words that are synonyms for the word, the word of God. So law, word, law of God, word of God, um, they're interchangeable. Now when we look at this verse, verse 19, in light of all Paul has already said in the letter so far, I think that Paul means his readers to see the word law as referring to any part of the standard God has set for people, whether it's the specific Jewish law found in Leviticus or the commands given to Abraham in the book of Genesis or any of God's revealed will which people either obey or disobey. That's what the law is. And then we see that Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, whatever the law says, to which my very inquisitive mind then asks, well, Paul, whatever does the law say? What is the law saying? What does the law say? Well, church, to, to put it as simply as I can, the law says do these things and don't do those things. Do these things and don't do those things. Here's what I mean by that. The law doesn't say, do some of these things and don't do some of those things. But you can pick and choose. The law doesn't say, here are some suggested commands. Now, you decide which ones you want to obey. No, the law says, do this and don't do that. Which means if you fail in any way, you are a lawbreaker. Because all of the rules are to be obeyed all of the time. Let me give you a few other places in God's Word to maybe help you understand uh, what I think Paul is saying here. In James chapter 2, verse 10, we find these words, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. In other words, the law says, be perfect. When Moses finished reminding the Israelites of the law just before they entered the promised land, he said this in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Did you catch that? Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. All of the words. And we're to do them, not talk about them, not memorize them. um, though That could be helpful, but ultimately we're to do them. And cursed be anyone who does not do them. There are no exceptions. Do the words of the law or be cursed. The law tells us we must be perfect. Let's go to Jesus. In Jesus' day, the people who were most obedient, at least outwardly, most obedient to the law of God were the Pharisees. Often the Pharisees get a bad rap, and rightfully so, but outwardly they were the best of the best when it came to God's law. People would look at the Pharisees and think, oh, if I could only be as good as the Pharisees, if I could only be as righteous as those Pharisees, and yet Jesus said this, he said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh my goodness, Can, do you understand what Jesus is saying? He takes the best of the best when it comes to trying to follow God's law, and he says you've got to be more righteous than they are. <laughs> Which means all the people who weren't the Pharisees, well, they're not that righteous. Neither are the Pharisees that righteous because... Jesus sets the standard higher than the Pharisees were able to achieve. What does that mean? Well, the law is saying we must be perfect. We must be perfect. Now, you you might have noticed that verse 19 also says um, that it speaks to those who are under the law. You might be wondering who, who is under the law. I'm going to talk about that under point number three. But first, we must hear what the law is saying. The law says you must be perfect. Number two. The law leaves us speechless before God. Number two, the law leaves us speechless before God. Verse 19 goes on to say, so that every mouth may be stopped. So that every mouth may be stopped. Law tells us we must be perfect. The law is speaking so that every mouth may be stopped. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. It means this, the law speaks in such a way that we are left speechless when we try to defend ourselves against God's judgment. The law speaks in such a way that we are left speechless when we try to defend ourselves against God's judgment. Have you ever been caught doing something wrong? I, I mean caught right in the middle of it. Like the proverbial hand in the cookie jar caught. It's obvious you are in the wrong. Everyone and anyone can tell that you are in the wrong. And everything inside of you wants to make an excuse. Everything inside of you wants to defend yourself, but you know that you are so guilty that you just shut your mouth, you hang your head in a silent admission of guilt. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you haven't. But friends, that's where we all will be if we stand before God one day thinking that our obedience to God's law will make us righteous in His sight. You see, on that day, if I try to say, but, but, but I did this right thing, the law says, but you did this wrong thing. If I try to say, but I obeyed almost everything, the law says, but you didn't obey everything. You see, because the law of God demands perfection, imperfect people are left speechless before God our judge. Because the law of God demands perfection, church, imperfect people are left speechless before God our judge. I like how John Stott put it when he quoted Charles Cranfield. And this is some borrowing the word speechless from him. Stott said, These words, writes Professor Cranfield, quote, Evoke the picture of the defendant in court who, given the opportunity to speak in his own defense, is speechless because of the weight of the evidence which has been brought against him. And then Stock continues with these words, there is nothing to wait for but the pronouncement and execution of the sentence. Friends, our human nature wants to defend ourselves. You, you know it. Uh, we want to defend ourselves. We want to say, but, but look at this good thing that I did. Or look at this good thing that I did. But if we try to defend ourselves before God, we will be left speechless. Like the little boy covered in mud standing before his daddy who just told him not to play in the mud before they left to go to grandma's house. So we will stand before God one day if our hope is in our obedience to the law. If our hope is in our own self-effort to live righteously before God. We will stand dirty in our imperfection. Unrighteous before a righteous God. There will be nothing to say. We will stand guilty as charged. So, number one, the law tells us we must be perfect. Number two, the law leaves us speechless before God. Number three, the law holds us all accountable to God. The law holds us all accountable to God. Notice the end of verse 19. Paul says, so that the whole world may be held accountable to God. You see that? He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So that the whole world may be held accountable to God. First, I want you to notice that it is the whole world that Paul is referring to. And We might think that he is just talking about Jews since he refers to those who are under the law at the beginning of the verse. But if you study chapters 1 through 3 carefully, you will see that Paul has been making the case that all people, both Jews and Gentiles, when he says Jews and Gentiles, that covers everybody in the world. All people, both Jews and Gentiles, are in the same boat when it comes to their standing before God. Just as a matter of of summary, just to hit some of the highlights, um, I would encourage you to go back and read all of chapters 1 through 3. But notice chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. There he says that the Gentiles have the law written on their heart, not in a saving way, in the new covenant way, where God writes, writes his law in our hearts, but, but in a way that means that all people are born with an innate understanding of right and wrong. You don't have to have the Ten Commandments in front of you. You can never have heard of the Ten Commandments to know that murdering somebody is wrong or to know that stealing something from somebody is wrong. And then in chapter 3, verse 9, you can glance there. Chapter 3, verse 9, he said, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. It's pretty clear, right? That all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And then in chapter 3, verse 10 through 18, he quotes multiple verses from the Old Testament scriptures which affirm that claim beginning with this one none is righteous no not one you see the gentiles can't weasel their way out of this predicament by claiming to not have the written law of god oh we don't have the written law of god we weren't given it so we we that's our excuse it doesn't work and the jews can't weasel their way out of this predicament by claiming to be privileged oh we're the special people of god god gave us his law No, they can't weasel their way out in that way and so this passage here is talking about everyone in the world. All people, which includes you and me. Now let's look at this phrase, are held accountable to God. Are held accountable to God. What does it mean to be held accountable to someone or something? To be accountable means you have to give an answer for what you've done. To be accountable to someone means you've got to give an answer to how you've acted, what you've done. Perhaps you say, okay, okay, okay. I got you I've done some I've done some bad things i I got some mud on me when I was supposed to be clean but but is it really that big of a deal? I and mean, why are you making such a big deal out of uh, uh, out of this? Is it that big of a deal? Let me put it to you the simplest way I know how. Yes. Yes, it really is a really big deal. Why? Well, think about it this way. The seriousness of breaking a law is greatly determined by the power and position of the one who made the law, which has been broken. The seriousness of breaking a law is greatly determined by the power and position of the one who made the law, which has been broken. For instance, if my four-year-old daughter breaks a rule that her five-year-old sister gave to her, it's not that big of a deal, except, of course, to the five-year-old, right? She thinks word is law sometimes. She might be, the four-year-old, might be accountable to her five-year-old sister for breaking that rule, but the position and power of my five-year-old daughter is pretty low on the scale of position and power. However, if my four-year-old daughter breaks a, a, a rule that her mommy and daddy give to her, then it's a much bigger deal. Why? Because she is accountable to my wife and I. She's accountable to her parents. And we have the position given by God as her parents and the power given by God as her parents to enforce the rules we set and to punish her when she breaks the rules. So listen, when we act like our disobedience to God's law is not that big of a deal, we're failing to clearly understand who the lawgiver is. He is God. And we are held accountable to God. And God has the highest position and possesses the greatest power he is fully capable of and has every right to punish us for breaking the laws which he has given us you say who is this god who is this god to whom the law holds us accountable friends he is the same god who rained fire down from heaven upon the pagan cities of sodom and gomorrah which were filled with people who were rejecting the laws of creation He is the same God who, when He descended upon Mount Sinai to give the law to Moses, warned the people of Israel to not even touch that mountain lest they die. He is the same God who consumed with fire Nadab and Abihu, the two sons of Aaron, who who broke God's command and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. He is the same God who opened up the earth and swallowed up the family of Korah, for rejecting God's sovereign will concerning the leaders of Israel. He is the same God who struck down Uzzah, putting him to death because he broke the command of God not to touch the Ark of the Covenant. He is the same God who is described in His Word as a consuming fire, a jealous God. That is the God we will stand before one day. That is whose law we have broken. That is who we will have to answer to for our deeds. And as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So yeah, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Number one, the law tells us we must be perfect. Number two, the law leaves us speechless before God. Number three, the law holds us accountable to God. Now the last two points come from verse 20, which clearly sums up Paul's argument concerning the law. Verse 20 says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Truth number four is this, the law fails to provide us with righteousness. The law fails to provide us with righteousness. Now, I'm not condemning the law in any way. The law hasn't failed to do what it's supposed to do. The law fails to do what we often want it to do, but it's not what God intended for it to do. The law fails to provide us with righteousness. Remember I said that the theme of Romans is righteousness versus unrighteousness. That God is righteous and we are unrighteous. And is there a way for an unrighteous people to be counted as righteous? For three chapters, chapters 1-3, through Paul has been making the case for how bad we are and how human effort will never be enough for us to be counted as righteous. And here he just lays it out very clearly. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. The word justified means to be counted righteous. And his sight is referring to God's sight, our judge. For by works of the law, no human being will be counted righteous in the sight of God. Church, let me try to explain it to you this way. Because God is righteous, He can only allow those who are righteous to enter into His presence to live with Him forever. Only those who are righteous can come before Him. And this verse, along with the rest of Scripture, tells us that God will not count a single person righteous according to works of the law. Not a single person. In other words, there will not be one person in heaven who is there because of their obedience to God's law. Not one, not one of us, nobody will be in heaven because of their obedience to God's law. Do you need to hear it again for emphasis? Sometimes I do. Listen to Paul's words to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. He says it over and over. God's Word says it over and over. Friends, it cannot be clear. You cannot escape eternal punishment through trying to obey some list of do's and don'ts, even if that list comes from God. And yet there's so many people who are staking their hope for eternal life and their obedience to the law. So many people who think they're good will outweigh their bad, and God will accept them based upon that. So many people who think that they will be able to say, but look at what I did over here, God. I mean, look, look at how many times I went to church. Look at how much money I gave. Look at my perfect Sunday school attendance. Look at how I helped this person or helped that person. Look at how I served as a deacon or a member of a a church committee or as a pastor or as a Bible study leader. Look at how I organized humanitarian efforts and and mission endeavors. Look how I did what was right when my friends or my spouse or my kids were doing what was wrong. Look, Look at what I've done and yet their mouths will be stopped and they will hear these words, depart from me for I never knew you. Say, Zach, I think you crossed the line. I think you're being a little too harsh here. Well, let me read to you something Jesus said, and then I'll let you decide whether I'm being too harsh or whether I'm simply warning you with truth. In Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty one through twenty three, we find Jesus speaking these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and in Your name drive out demons and in Your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Why? Why will Jesus say that to people who have tried to do good things, even good things in His name? It's because they're not merely trying to do good works, but they are trusting in their good works. And by works of the law, no human being will be justified in His sight. Friend, if that's you today, then please stop trusting the law to do something that the law can never do. And that is make you righteous. Unfortunately, when we depend upon the law, when we just try to be good people, then people may praise us at our funeral for being a good person, but we will be suffering God's eternal wrath as they do. So if the law cannot make us righteous, then what can the law do? What is its purpose? What what can the law do? Truth number five. The law reveals our greatest problem and our greatest need. The law reveals our greatest problem And our greatest need. Is there any benefit to the law? Absolutely. God gave it. Yes, it's good. The law reveals our greatest problem and therefore reveals our greatest need. Paul concludes this bad news section of the letter with these words. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See verse 20? For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What is he saying? He is saying that the law cannot declare us righteous, but it can declare us unrighteous. It can say you are unrighteous. That's what the law says to us. It says you're not perfect. means you're not righteous. It can declare that to us. And that's a good thing. It is good for us to know that we are unrighteous. Why is that a good thing? Well, as long as we think that we are righteous or that we can become righteous through our self-effort, then we will keep believing that we don't have a problem big enough to need God's divine grace to solve. We'll think, we can do it on our own. But friends, the law reveals that we have a serious problem. The law says loudly for those who have ears to hear You have a problem that you cannot fix. That's what the law says. And that problem is sin. That problem is sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Church, the law reveals that our greatest problem is sin. Our greatest problem is not a failure of our parents to raise us right, or a failure of government to legislate right, or a failure, failure of a political leader to lead us right. Or a failure of a doctor to diagnose us right. Or the failure of an earthly judge to rule a case right. Those are, might be problems, but those are not our greatest problems. Our greatest problem is our failure to live right before God. And the Bible calls that sin. Our greatest problem as humanity is not a climate problem or a political problem party problem or an economic problem or a family problem or a social justice problem or a government problem or a first amendment or a second amendment or any other amendment problem our greatest problem is a heart problem that leads to a thinking problem that leads to a behavior problem that the bible calls sin and if you don't think you have this problem called sin, all you have to do, it's so what this message has been about, so what this passage is about, all you have to do is compare your life to the law of God. And you will very quickly see that you, as Paul says in verse 23, just like every other person in the world, fall short of the glory of God. But the law doesn't just reveal our greatest problem. You see, in revealing our greatest problem, it also reveals our greatest need. Our greatest need is to be counted righteous even though we are not righteous. Our greatest need is for a righteousness to come to us from outside of us since all that we have within us is unrighteousness. You See, here's the point that Paul is making. Here's the point for us today. The, the law reveals that our greatest problem is sin. And in so doing, it reveals that our greatest need is a Savior who will take away our sin. Or we could use the word righteousness and unrighteousness. The law reveals that our greatest problem is unrighteousness before God. And in so doing, it reveals that our greatest need is a Savior who will make us righteous. And that is exactly what God has given to us. Paul unloads the good news of Jesus in verses 21-26. through He says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God that are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, Lord willing, we will examine and study in detail and delight in this Gospel message over the next few weeks as we unpack those verses. But for now, know this. There is a way for you to be counted righteous. Righteous. And that way is Jesus. He left heaven and came to earth. He lived a perfectly righteous life and then He died on the cross taking your punishment upon Himself. He took your sin upon Himself in order to give you His righteousness. But it's not by works of the law that you get this gift of righteousness. Instead, it is by God's grace through your faith in Jesus. You must depend upon the work of Jesus to save you, not upon your own work to save you. And if you will believe in Jesus, He will save you. He is the solution to your greatest problem. He is the answer to your greatest need. Friends, it's one thing for me to tell you that my driveway is broken down and is in need desperate need of gravel. It's another thing for me to drive you down my driveway and let you see and feel just how broken down it is. I pray that today God's Word has driven us down the driveway of our lives and we've been able to see and feel the depth of our own brokenness. Not so that we will keep living in our brokenness, but so that we will recognize our greatest problem and our greatest need. So that we will stop trying to fix it ourselves, and so that we will cry out to God to show us mercy and grace through Jesus, the only righteous one. If you've trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, then I say, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! And I say to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've trusted in Christ and He's rescued you from your sin, make sure you are helping others realize they need to trust in Jesus as well. When, when you ask someone if they've been saved, don't take statements like, well, yeah, I go to church. Or yeah, I, I used to live a pretty, pretty rough life, but man, I've, I've changed my ways and I, I'm doing a whole lot better. Don't take that as a valid answer of whether or not they're saved. Help people see that they'll never be saved by their own self-effort. Lovingly set God's law before them and help them to see that they do not measure up. And then then joyfully tell them about Jesus, the only one who can save them from their sin, from their unrighteousness. Perhaps you have not believed in Jesus for salvation. Perhaps you've been trying to be good enough in some way, you have been depending on your own works to earn you a place with God. It can take all different shapes and forms, but at the end of the day, you've been trying to be good enough. You've been trying to make up for the bad things you've done by trying to do good things. If that's you, if you've been trying to earn a right standing with God. And I urge you to repent of your sin and cry out to God for mercy and grace. Cry out to God with faith in Jesus to save you. Stop trusting in the law. Stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in Jesus today. And as you trust in Jesus for salvation, make the prayer of Psalm chapter 143, verses 1 through 2, your prayer. The psalmist writes Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. What an incredible prayer. To ask God to show you mercy. To ask God who is righteous to show you who are not righteous mercy. How can God do that? How can He answer such a prayer? It's because He has sent Jesus to be righteous for you and to take your punishment upon Himself. And so will you trust in Jesus today? Will you trust in Christ and be rescued Saving righteousness is needed. It's needed by all. And only Jesus can meet that need. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is powerful and your word is true. Father, would you convict our hearts? Father, will we not trust in our own efforts? Will we trust in Jesus? God, I thank you that you have rescued me from my sin, not because I deserve it, but because of your grace in my life, drawing me to salvation, placing my faith in Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone who has not trusted in Christ for salvation. Father, I pray that right now they would cry out to you for mercy by placing their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And God, Your Word tells us that when we call upon Christ, when we believe in Him, the good news of the Gospel, that You will save us. Father, we thank You for this greatest news ever. Father, we thank You for revealing to us through Your law our greatest problem and our greatest need. And we thank You for meeting our greatest need through Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.